episode of the West Coast Preps podcast. Our guest, I feel like coaches about 92 showcases per week. We are joined here by Jawan Lawson, QB Collective, a former great quarterback at Casa Grande. Jawan, how's your week going and how excited are you for this football season to come back to some normalcy in the fall? Uh, good. One thing is it's nice to have football back in the fall, not that spring season. And I mean, you can't complain with how everything's kind of going. I mean, it's going well and glad glad to have glad you guys are having me today. Yeah, of course. It's great to have you on uh, the West Coast Press podcast. We appreciate you coming on, making the time. Um, but first off, just kind of introduce yourself, what you're doing now and all that stuff to the crowd. Yeah, uh, I mean, pl- I mean, got done playing in 18 at Rhode Island. I uh, got close to you can get to the NFL without actually making it. And then uh, went right into coaching. Uh, been with QB Collective now for about two and a half years. Uh, and then back in the North Bay, run a seven on seven program out there. And just one of those things, you, when you're an athlete, you don't always have every, everything planned out. So it was an easy transition for me to get into coaching, uh, enjoy what I do. And this will be the first year I'm not coaching high school, so I actually get to see my quarterbacks uh, around Northern California play. So excited for that, especially starting up this week. I mean, you know what the coaching business is like, too. This year you're not going to be coaching, but tell our viewers how much goes into coaching at this level and what your schedule usually looked like per week and what your hours were like when you were a high school assistant football coach? I I think it varies just depending on the team and the culture that your team is set. Uh, It varies from feeling almost like a college program to where as a coach, you spend eight, nine hours a day, especially if you're a part of the school as a teacher during your breaks and things like that, you're doing film prep. I know for myself, I spent at least, 25 to 30 hours we just game planning looking over film for the quarterbacks and trying to give your guys as much of an edge as you can uh and quite frankly 25 30 hours still isn't normally what i would be when i played i mean you get used to putting in 40 50 hours a week just watching film and prepping and then that doesn't include the three hours of practice special teams i mean as a coach depending on where you are your preparation can be anywhere from three hours a week to 30, 40 hours a week. So it all, it's all relative to where you are. And then just kind of go back into what got you into playing football. Um, and when did you start playing? Uh, I started playing when I was nine, uh, got into it in my family, really not a choice. Uh, you play football and it's one of those things you just grew up in the game. My dad was coaching football well before, I was born and he's going to coach and he's been coaching well after I stopped playing younger brother played all, all my cousins played uh, uncles. It's just one of those things. I grew up in a football family my grandpa, my dad, my uncle, cousin, they all coached me when I was playing youth football, when I was playing pop Warner. And it's one of those things that you learn quick that football is a sink or swim game. You either figure it out and you learn to, deal with the pain and you learn the discipline and all that, or you're going to kind of start doggy paddling and just trying to stay afloat. And I just grew up in a family that this is what we do. And I just took to it. One of those things I loved it. I enjoyed it. And so it never felt like it was a burden for me. And football was always meant to be, I just found a video of you before we got on this podcast from the Colonial Athletic Association, right in preschool. I think it was back to school night. Your teacher told your parents that, 
you guys are supposed to draw stuff. And then what were you drawing? You were drawing perfectly aligned X's and O's of diagramming football. Do you remember that? No, at all? I mean, I, that, I have like, no it? recollection of that at all. My uh, mom always laughs about it because she, she's the one that talks about it. She went to back night school when I was probably preschool, I think, or kindergarten, one of the two. And my teacher is like, when we do our drawing time, he does these X's and O's, but they're perfectly separated and their lines going all over the place. And I don't know what they are. And my mom always said she just started laughing hysterically in the classroom and, she, and said, he's drawing football plays like his father, his dad's football coach, and he, he's around him all the time. And so that's just what he's drawing. He's drawing, drawing football plays. I didn't know what I was doing or anything, but it was just separated perfectly in lines going all over the place. And to this day, honestly, that's still something I probably do. I probably have a, I'd probably say about 180 plays in a playbook. I probably driven drawn up about 10 playbooks from the time I was 12 to now. I don't know why most people draw a bird or they go get a painting to relax. I draw football plays. It's just, that's what I've always done. How what much you are you drawing? So when you're at a restaurant too, I know some coaches talk about doing that on napkins. Are you doing that too? Let's say you're just sitting. No. In restaurant. <laughs> I'm one thing I'm good about is where, wherever I am, I can separate football and wherever I am personal life. So when I'm at a restaurant, I'm, I'm normally pretty good about trying to focus just wherever I am in that moment. Granted in today's society, I won't draw football plays, but I'll see football clip highlights and, end up watching them for a second or two, but I try not to be on my phone or disconnected with whoever I'm whoever I'm with. Now, where do you think that passion for drawing up football plays from such a young age comes from? And what is it that clicks in your head that makes you want to do that and makes you driven to keep on doing it? Uh, that's something nobody, even in my family, can quite figure out. Um, my family loves football, but everybody has kind of always known that I kind of took to it in a very natural way that it, I wasn't trying to draw a place. I wasn't trying to learn certain things. Just my mind wraps it quicker than the typical 10 year old did. Um, my parents, grandparents, they could all tell you, they don't have no clue quite where the drive that I had for football came, but it just, some people can play a piano and just right off the off the bat, it makes sense to them. I saw pass protections and blocking schemes and what defenses were doing, and I don't see it as anything but oh, this is what this is simple. This is what my mind sees. So for me, it's just second nature. I I don't have to see something a lot to kind of figure out what the intent in football is supposed to be. Your father was a coach, too, as you mentioned earlier, growing up. And the biggest thing you hear about about coaches' kids is that they're coachable and that they can deal with that toughness from the coaching staff maybe better than other players just because that mold of they know what it's like to be coached tough and be coached hard. Did that kind of help you growing up in terms of just being a more coachable kid and learning football and being more disciplined and fundamentally sound as you were growing up because of your father coaching you? Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. When your dad's your coach, you can't get away with anything. Uh, you're under a microscope, and that's because you are the coach's son. And the first thing that parents and other players are going to say, if you're not playing to the level you need to, is the only reason he's playing is because he's the coach's son. 
And so you have to quickly assert yourself that you're not just there at that position because you're the coach's son, but because you're the best option. Uh, and so the discipline and how you're supposed to play, the way you're supposed to talk, how you're supposed to walk, all of those things, he definitely grounded in me young. And not even just him. I mean, my grandpa coached me when I was in Pop Warner for two, three years when I first started playing. Um, my uncle two of my uncle one uncle two cousins were also coaching me so they never let me get away with anything and then as i got older the thing that he did that was extremely smart is he let go of the reins when i got to an age that i outgrew what he knew as a as a coach uh he went and got me a quarterback coach and put me with the right guys and put me with the right support system so he he can no longer help me but the group he put me around was able to grow me now in in a way that's him doing what he's supposed to do uh fathers as coaches a lot of times they want to hold on as long as they can and think they're right he knew i think i was 13 at the time and i had just outgrown the pace that would he could teach me and so he put me with will hewitt and that was all she wrote with the quarterback position he developed me in three years into something that quite frankly i never thought i'd ever see so I, for that, you're always thankful. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And was that the moment that kind of clicked when you started working with your quarterback coach? Was that the time that you knew that you were going to take it to the next level and you were kind of doing something special? Absolutely not. Um, if Will ever comes back out to Northern California because he moved out to Florida, uh, I'll get him on video. We'll, we'll talk about what we'll, my first session with him, me and him to this day will both say if I turned out to be a quarterback after that first session, we were both lying to each other. Um, after that first session with him, I was about ready to walk away from playing quarterback. Hey, I'll go play corner and receiver and that'll be that. And Will will tell you there's no way in hell he ever thought I would be a quarterback. But that's a, that's the beauty of sports in general. One day doesn't define you. Um, it's the same thing. I mean, I see it all the time. There are kids that you're just like, does he have a chance to do anything in this sport? But then two, three, four months later, you're like, nerves play a role. They're 13. We forget development happens. I mean, that's just honest to God truth. And I developed over time in certain things that Will was teaching me at that time. He learned to rephrase. Uh, because for everybody, it's just a little bit different in how it clicks in their mind more than anything. So then when did it really click in that process? And you had that thought in your mind of like, hey, I really can't play the next level. I can't play Division One football. And also going back to that first session, what was it about that first session? And how much did that motivate you to come back and actually make this quarterback thing a reality? Um, God, so let's go with when it how bad that first session was um it was one of those things that he everything he was teaching me was going against everything i'd ever learned throwing the ball wise and not in a bad way but just when you're young you're 13 14 you've had three or four guys tell you it's supposed to be one way for so long sometimes it's hard for you to open up your mind and to try new things but that's the quarterback position and that's the thing that when you're young, sometimes it's hard because you have your dad, you have your Pop Warner coach, you have other people that you trust saying, well, this is how it's supposed to look. And then you have a coach saying, well, 
it looks like that because they do this and then they do that. So you've got to be willing to do one and two to get the three, not just skip the three and then go to five. Um, because throwing is a sequence and there's about five, six, seven steps in there. And you've got to make sure you every one of those steps and those sequences to make sure your throw is consistent every single time. And so when a coach is kind of giving you new things from you're like, I've been successful my whole life. I've thrown the ball. Well, I've never had problems. And then they change stuff. It makes you hesitant. It makes you kind of a ram and where you're kind of buttoned back with them. You're just kind of like, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. But then there just comes a time and point where you've got to trust that they know what they're doing. It's just like any general contractor labor. They're specialists in what they do. They know how to plumbers know what to do when it comes to coming to your house and fixing what you need to do. Um, people that do roofing, they know what they're doing. You don't need to second guess them. Same thing with the quarterback coach. That guy spent God seven, eight years working on what he needed on in that field. And so I just had to trust him. And once I trusted him, it just started clicking more than anything. And then as far as when it clicked that I could play at the next level, I always knew I could. Uh, it was never for a lack of confidence. I'm the most confident guy you'll ever meet. Uh, all my friends will say I'm to the point I can get too confident. And that's that fine line between confidence and cocky. I've always liked to walk. Um, but it was one of those things uh, after my sophomore year of high school, University of Arizona offered. And that's kind of when it was like, all right, it's going to happen. Now it's a matter of where it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Um, I was always trying to stay grounded in my approach. So once the first one, the first offer officially came through, then it was like, all right, I've gotten the offer. I know I'm going to play there. Now it's just about where more or less than when or who I'm playing for. And then kind of go through that whole recruiting process. And for people who don't know, you had offers from Arizona, Boston College, Cal, Fresno State, New Mexico, San Jose State, and Texas State. Go through that whole recruiting process and how much did you, or, and did you enjoy it? Uh, I enjoyed it early, hated it later in the process. Um, it can get a lot. And even recruiting from when I was in high school to now is just, it's more even larger than where it was. Um, for me, early on, I was always looking at the recruiting rankings and everything when I was a sophomore coming up. By the time I was a junior, uh, I'd stopped kind of talking to recruiting analysts just because it was a, it's a drag on you at times. And it just a lot of stress on a 16, 17-year-old kid because you got to make a decision that you know is going to impact your life for the next 15 to 20 and you're, you don't want to second guess yourself. You don't want to be wrong. So you start to almost panic about it. Uh, for me, i very introverted and I like to deal with a lot of stuff on my own. Uh, my problems are something that I, I was going to deal with. And so it was one of those things through the recruiting process. I ended up with over 40 scholarship offers. Um, I had stopped reporting them to the recruiting websites just because it wasn't their business. And it range from I had probably about 15 to 25 as a quarterback, uh, another 10 as defender, and then another 5 to 10 as an athlete. And so it was one of those things that it was rough as a quarterback because my whole life I've only played quarterback. And some teams would see athleticism and say you couldn't play quarterback for them. Some teams would say, uh, 
we're not taking an athlete at quarterback and then taking another athlete at quarterback and then recruit you as a safety. Um, it can be hard on you at times. And it's one of those things, the best thing I ever made was I told my, I told every school myself, either I'm going to commit before my senior year or I won't commit until after my senior year. And I ended up committing after. And so for my whole senior year, didn't worry about recruiting, didn't really deal with it. Um, I just played ball and let the cards fall where they fall because you know, at the end of the day, I was going to get to play division one ball. I was going to get to play football on a full ride scholarship where my parents didn't have to pay. And so that's all I cared about. And you talk about all those pressures that goes within kind of the dragging to be a time the recruiting process. What's your advice to kids and what can they do with their mental approach to get through some of those longer hours and get through the pressures when you're a 16, 17 year old kid and that decision you make doesn't just affect your next year, but it can affect your next 20, 30 years of your career. Uh, same thing. I've told all the kids I work with now, the pressure is not going away. Um, it just isn't at the end of the day. You're going to have pressure from outside, and people think that's hard. The outside pressure is the easy easy stuff to deal with. It's the internal pressure on, on just knowing you don't want to make a wrong decision. Um, because for anybody, let's say you got three opportunities, three scholarship opportunities, ranging from FCS to FBS football. Sometimes we always look and get twisted by the bright lights. FBS football is bigger, better. We want to play there. But what you come to find out is three years later when you did the FBS route, well, the guy that took your scholarship offer at the smaller school is now playing and he's a two-time All-American and you're sitting on the bench at FBS probably having to transfer the next year. Um, and so you always go through these scenarios in your head. You run them over and over and over. And as quarterbacks, it's what we do. We run scenarios in our head because we're always trying to outthink the game. The one thing I would say is make sure you just go to somewhere where you enjoy to be at the end of the day. Um, both schools I went to were assigned University of New Mexico and University of Rhode Island where I transferred to. I love both schools to the point where I'd still go back. I mean, I see myself as an alumni from New Mexico. And I see myself an alumni of Rhode Island. And my guys from, from both teams probably still keep in touch with 50 on each team. It's just one of those things. Go to where at the end of the day, could you live there if you weren't playing ball? That's about the only thing because a scholarship, you're getting your education paid for. The The degree isn't as important as the, ne the network you create with the degree. Um, it's great to have a degree from wherever you are, but the people that you meet on your ride is really where that degree comes in handy. It's not so much the paper that you get, it's the people you meet while you're trying to get that paper at the end mm -hmm. yeah and before we go into your time in college and playing college ball you mentioned something about the pressure is always building I feel like it's even more now and especially with social media what's your take on the pressure with social media now is you know we've had a couple of videos that go viral and then just people saying rude things for no reason because someone's throwing a spiral and they think they can do it better. How much added pressure do you think that puts on some of these kids that are 16, 17, 18 years old? I think it just depends on their who they are. They're, they're making their model of just their core principles. Uh, I didn't have an Instagram until my retro senior <clears throat> senior year of college. So I was 22, 23 when I finally got Instagram. I got Twitter just for college coaches. I got Facebook just for college coaches when I was coming up. 
Um, if you're like me, I enjoyed Twitter actually when I was in college uh, because I look at the comments and I get a kick out of it more than it actually bugs me. Uh, just because I was always told if people love you and people hate you, you're doing something right. That means you're either you're succeeding at a pretty high level because you're good for everybody that loves you. You've got to have probably one or two haters that also hate you. <laughs> if you get people kind of in the middle that are just like, eh, who cares? It probably means you're not at the top of your game. You always, I've always felt like if you got people hating on you, then you're doing special things. Uh, someone like LeBron, I mean, growing up out here in the Bay, everybody always talks so negative about him. They always are trying to knock him down. But when you take a step back and look at what he's done in his career from on the court, off the court, uh, creating his Akron school, all you can do is just be like, yeah, because you're succeeding at such a high level, there are going to be people that just don't want to see you succeed. When you when everyone is succeeding and you feel like you can't do anything wrong, people are going to want to see you do wrong. That's just how it goes. And I've always, I love social media. I really do. Uh, some of the things that you see grown adults post about 17 year olds and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like you guys need to get a life. You see six year, you see six year old guys getting custom jerseys to 17 year olds in high school to try and convince them to go to their university. I get a kick out of that. I just do. And then when they don't and they get all butthurt and they start posting what they post, I enjoy that. It's just it's comedy for me because I just don't take it with a grain I just take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. I that's probably the best answer or attitude I've heard from anyone is just just kinda laugh it off and embrace it. Um but yeah, now I mean, go ahead. No, no, I was like, yeah, exactly. You're if you're an athlete, you gotta embrace it. Uh, just wait until they step into those those stadiums, even playing at Rhode Island. You go to James Madison, that's 25,000 strong. That thing is rocking, and you're getting people throwing streamers at you when they score. It is what it is. You deal with it. You don't like it, but your job is to go out there and kind of shut them up. And if you do your job right, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a lot more fun when you have that sort of attitude. So, but I want to get into your time at college and ultimately, why did you choose New Mexico and how was it there? Uh, I chose New Mexico uh, at the time. The offense they were trying to run was similar to the Chip Kelly uh, Oregon system that had just left. Uh, I absolutely loved it there. I love Albuquerque. <laughs> I love the 505. Um the one thing that just didn't pan out well was the offense morphed into something that I didn't want to be a part of, where we were running almost a traditional triple, getting more under center and doing kind of the Army, Air Force, and Navy uh, uh, split bone. And it just was one of those things. It, I had two years left, and I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, I didn't have regrets uh, about where I was. Always felt like that's the number one thing that I never wanted to have was regrets uh, playing football. I'll take every opportunity, every chance. If I'm wrong, I can live with it. But if I sit pat and I never get to see what is going to happen, then I just didn't want that to be. So absolutely love New Mexico. And I was almost 100% sure I would end up being a starter at some point that year. But it just, for me, wanted a, a change of scenery. And so end up transferring from there after three years and god i mean i got nothing bad to say about new mexico i still talk to probably three or four of my coaches from my time there um more guys than i can remember i mean 
all the quarterbacks in that room still great great friends with to to this day and much longer after and god i love i love albuquerque and got nothing bad to say about it and how was that transfer process did you have other schools recruiting you and courting you and what sold you on rhode islands and how was that experience there playing in the colonial athletic association uh transferring back then was a lot different there wasn't a transfer portal uh there weren't a notification to every school that you were transferring um for me it was pretty interesting actually uh, i had a couple schools hit me early on uh it was a lot of oh we're, we like you we like you we think we're gonna offer you we don't have room for you um i know start off kent state northern iowa central oklahoma all the schools called within the week and they're all talking about great things and then nothing materialized uh took visits out to god probably four or five schools division two to fbs and just kept kind of looking for schools looking for schools and then actually i had committed to western state in colorado a division two school and i was set to enroll set to uh show up to camp i got my academic transcripts back and they only transferred over uh half my credits and so that's actually how I ended up at Rhode Island because Rhode Island actually didn't offer me as quarterback. They offered me as a receiver. Um, I had a buddy from high school that was going there from the junior college. And so we kind of set everything up, but then they weren't going to let me play quarterback. Three days before camp, I think it was three or four days before camp, they called me and said, if you want to play quarterback, our starter just transferred. We have an opening. So 72 hours before camp, uh, I switched my commitment. Instead of flying to Colorado, I rebooked my flight to Rhode Island. And Rhode Island was giving me 90 credits for my transfer, so I'd only need one year, and then I'd graduate. Where Western State was 47 credits, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing a whole extra year and a half of schooling that I, I've already done. And so, uh, hopped on a flight, got out there about 48 hours before camp. Uh, knew that knew that I was going out there about 72 hours before camp. And so I never really got my bearings that first year. Uh, everything was always just kind of hit quick and kind of dealt with the punches as they came. I mean, got there, figured out the dorm situation, uh, where I was going to stay. I didn't know where I was living actually until about week two into fall camp. I a couple of teammates needed a roommate. And so I ended up moving in with them. Uh, crazy. Well, that's for sure. It was crazy. It's not as cut and dry as people think. Uh, I was home for about two months in summer working and just kind of figuring out what was going to happen. And then once I got an opportunity, made my way out there and the rest was history. And I mean, you were successful there. You're an all-conference player, Rhode Island. Um, you also had a completion percentage of 66.7% as a redshirt junior. Uh, why were you so accurate? Why did you, you know, what led to making good decisions? And ultimately, why were you just successful at Rhode Island? Uh, I mean, one thing, opportunity. Uh, and that's why I ended up 3,000 miles away from home is an opportunity to play. Um, people always talk about going away from home, that they struggle with being that far from home. A lot of times you don't struggle being away from home. You struggle with not being the guy anymore and being away from home. And so just being able to play for me out there is kind of what made me a good player is because once you're playing, everything goes to normal. It didn't, didn't matter if I was in back home Petaluma 
or if I was living in Rhode Island, when once I was playing, it all felt the same. Going to school, going to film, playing, it just felt normal again. And then as far as completion percentage and decision making, I attest that to my dad more than anything. Um, I understood at a young age, I was never going to be uh, Jamarcus Russell. I knew I wasn't going to have the rocket launcher of an arm. I knew I can throw the ball in 90 yards. I knew I can't throw I know I can't throw it 75 off my knees. But what I can do is make great decisions and be active with the football. And so through camp, what happens a lot of times is coaches get enamored with big arms. They get enamored with the throws that they can make in practice. And he was like, well, no one else can make that throw. You're right. I can't make that throw. But in a game, he won't make that throw because he'll be nervous to make that throw. I've always believed practice is where you practice. And so I work on a lot of things that I do in practice that I won't do in a game because I want to find out if I can do it in a game. And so for me, as far as decision-making, it's very simple. How you win football games is you move the chains. So on third and six, I need six yards. I don't need to throw vertical. Third and one. I don't need to pull the ball to throw. We just hand that ball off to run the ball. I've always felt like my best friend was a run game. And so I always tried to be balanced in everything I did. And so it was one of those things. You could be really accurate, but if they know you're throwing it every time, they can make it hard on you. And so I always try to make sure we could run the ball and throw the ball, try and keep as much balance as we can. And that's really where the completion percentage came came up from anything. Because I always felt like if I can complete the ball, I can give my guys a chance to be superstars. And quite frankly, my guys were superstars. Uh, Isaiah Coulter is with the Houston Texans and Aaron Parker's with the Dallas Cowboys. They're studs. And so my job was easy. Throw it in the area and let them do the rest of the work. And, and during that span, too, before you went to Rhode Island, you discussed that you were working for a couple of months at home. How tough was that time? Was there any doubts that this football thing would actually happen beyond Rhode Island or, were you, or beyond New Mexico, I should say? But, or were you always just still confident like you always were growing up and believing that this thing still would happen? Uh, Exterior-wise, confident as you can be. Interior, terrified because I there were times where for sure you were like, yeah, I may be done playing. Uh, I don't know if anything's going to materialize. I've always been good about putting on a good front, no matter how I'm feeling, how bad or how good I'm feeling. I'm going to kind of keep that blank canvas kind of business as usual. But yeah, inside, you're like any other human being. When you get fired or you quit your job and then you're looking for that next opportunity, you're confident because you have to be confident that you're going to find that next opportunity. But on the inside, you're nervous because you're saying to yourself, if I don't get the next opportunity, what do I do? Am I going back to a desk job or whatever it may be? And so, yeah, I was nervous, unsettled, but no one would ever know. Um, and so it's one of those things that looking back on it, yeah, I was nervous, but never to the point where I felt like I thought my career was going to end. I was, was kind of just like, you know, it'll work itself out, just patience. And at the end of the day. It definitely worked itself out. And then talk about the post-college life as well, and if you had any opportunities to play professionally. Yeah, uh, post-college life was crazy for the first year. Uh, I think I finished in 2018, so 2019 was my draft process. Um, right away, signed with an agent because I played in the NFL PA collegiate bowl. 
um, in I think uh, January, and so that whole experience was something that something else. All thirty-two teams were always there. Uh, you talked to, I think I talked to fifteen or sixteen teams. Uh, it's a whole week. I think it's a four or five day thing, and so just going through all the meetings, all the different testing, meeting with the coaches, going to NFL practices. Uh, Chuck Pagano was my head coach. Ed Reed was my defensive coordinator for that game. And so you learn a little bit about what the NFL life is. And then that whole experience after that was a freaking whirlwind. Um, up and down between workouts for, for teams, uh, draft day coming, literally the worst day of my life. Uh, and no one no one can kind of tell me anything else when it comes to foot, when it comes to sports in general. That was by far the worst day. Uh, you're expecting that phone call never comes. You think you're going to get an undrafted opportunity never comes. Uh, you have some mishandling from your agent, and then you go back and you look at, well, did I make the right decision when I went with this guy or that guy? Should I've done this instead of that? And you play it back in your head for three four months. Um, best thing that ever happened to me was when things started not materializing, going right into coaching, uh, coaching back in my high school, because it took away the thinking so much. And I just had to react. You have 17 year olds, 16, 15, 14 year olds. You just got to give them your best and your, everything that you have at that moment. So it was able to make an easy transition. And I had opportunities after the play for Marina, uh, Canadian workout. But for me, it's always now more about fit than it is about just playing professionally. I'm at peace with everything I did. I took every chance, every opportunity. And some people to this day, I have, I know, that are still looking for an opportunity four or five years removed from college. And it's because they always felt like they didn't give everything while they were there in college. I left everything I had on those fields. I got no, no regrets on anything. So... If a, the right opportunity arises, I'll be ready to go. But for me, I enjoy coaching. I enjoy where I'm at, and I can't complain. When Is did there, you have that that dude, that you were okay that you wouldn't play professionally? When did it click in your head that this is okay and you just came to grips with it? Uh, I don't know if I ever had a time where I just kind of came to grips, but I've always been self-aware, and I can look at the word objectively and kind of understand – I'm a year and a half removed from the draft process and we're now we're into a pandemic and I'm just kind of like, I can see it. It's hard to get an opportunity and it's even harder when you can't go out. And so for me, it was one of those things like, all right, well, I can pivot to the life I knew I was going into anyways. Always knew I wanted to go into coaching, even if I did get to be Tom Brady and play until I'm 45. I need another something I want to do for the next 30, 40 years of my life. And coaching was always kind of that avenue. So for me, it was like, all right, I can pivot. Let's go. Let's go somewhere else. And is there a single moment during that whole draft process when you're talking to the teams? Is there a conversation or a moment that sticks with you still to this day? Uh, probably the first time I talked to Ed Reed more than anything, because that's a guy, quite frankly, I grew up in. He was a top three favorite player of mine a guy that when i was young i had a, a big a big massive fathead in my room of ed reed uh i really loved everything about him how he played the game the joy he played and so talking with them even for five seconds at a time 10 seconds at a time two minutes at a time it was one of those things like 
you realize these guys on TV, we put them on a pedestal and we see them as almost kind of like the model of a superhero. And then you talk to them and you realize they're just normal human beings. And once you like talk to them, you didn't realize you're talking to the Hall of Famer. You just thought you're talking to another one of your buddies because he was just, he kind of was like, you got to be able to walk into a locker room and not be shell shocked by who you're around. Uh, when you're an undrafted guy, no matter what locker room you go into, there's going to be a Hall of Famer in there. And so it's just business as usual. And it was kind of just cool to talk with him for a little bit and kind of pick his brain. And what drew you to the coaching route? And did your father at all inspire you growing up around, obviously, a coach in your family? Uh, no. Uh, I knew, for me, football is just kind of where I'm at. Uh, I don't know anything other than football. And so coaching was easy. Uh, I've always liked the technician and specialties of position coaching, uh, especially at the quarterback. It's so much you can do to maximize your ability. Uh, and so I've always felt drawn to it from the time I was 12 to the time I was in college. Uh, my guys at New Mexico, at one point they called me Coach Lawson because I was a backup, but I understood the offense kind of better than they did from the pass game stand, uh, standpoint. And so we'd always work together and they kind of nicknamed me Coach because that's just kind of who I was. Uh, I could... I remember someone telling me when you get to college, you don't help other guys around you because it's an individual business. It's just not in my DNA. I'm going to give you every advantage to be as good as you can be, uh, no matter what. Because at the end of the day, I, I think I'm better. And so I don't feel like I have to withhold information. And so for me, going into coaching, easy choice. I got a lot of stuff that I've done in a short time, and I can help with guys that are younger. And then I also know I'm always learning. There are things I've learned the last two, three years that I wish I had done when I played. Um, but that's the bright side of sports in being a quarterback coach and a quarterback trainer and developer is you're always learning as much as you are teaching someone else. And then what's your ultimate goal in this profession of coaching? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I've never set boundaries uh, I know I never want to get into the NFL coaching. That lifestyle is just something that I don't want, the stress and that kind of lifestyle. But I've always thought about going to college coaching. I've had m multiple opportunities to leave and become a college coach this year. But the same thing holds true with me playing as much as me coaching. It's all about fit. Uh, I can help a lot more kids at the high school rank than I can in the college rank. Uh, you get to them younger. And especially with kids that are growing up in a tougher situation than the outside see, that are growing up in single-parent households and financially unstable, those are things that you can help when you're in the high school rank because those kids sometimes might not get to college. And so it's all about fit, and if that'll be a good decision at that time because – yeah, the money may be greater in college. Uh, I've always had the aspirations of winning a national championship. And yeah, you could be the 3 to $5 million head coach potentially. Uh, but money's never been my, my forte at the end of the day. Uh, the more I can help, the more I can develop, I'll be fine with that when everything rain, rains down and is finalized. 
And what is your advice to kids who want to play at the next level? And what do players have to do to make it to that college level to play sports? Uh, love the game more than anything. Uh, just love, enjoy playing the game and show that joy when you're actually playing the game. Uh, too much now, it's become a business already at a younger age. These kids are getting trained from the time they're nine to they're in high school, and they do these great plays, and then they act like nothing happened. And I'm not talking about great plays in shirt and shorts. Uh, I'm talking about great plays with pads on, and you'll be like, dude, you just caught a 25-yard post on top of somebody and kept your footing and scored up from 40 yards out. And they just walk around like that as business as usual. I'll never forget, I was talking to a coach from Virginia Tech, and he said the thing that he noticed about a kid was how much he enjoyed playing the game. He was like, he doesn't know if he'll fit their system because of all the measurable stuff. But he was like, there'll be a coach that just loves who he is as a competitor and will give him an opportunity. Um, college football is tough. It'll make you question if you love, if you really want to be there, if you enjoy what you do. If you don't love that game, it'll chew you out and spit you up quick. Uh, and so just enjoy it. And the grind is the grind. You run to do every day. It doesn't change unless you're the five, top player in the country. You may be able to get away with being lazy. But that's 15 guys in the country. Everybody else, you better get to work. And so the grind is the grind. That's not going to change. Like That's not going to differ from person to person. But how much you enjoy what you do, how much you love the game, now that can separate if you can stay in that grind or if you'll quit when it just gets to that point. And then last thing before we get into some fun questions, I just want to go into how hard it is to evaluating a quarterback and what goes into it and why it is so hard. Uh, quarterback position, why it's so hard is because 85% of the game is played from the neck down, right? And that's the easy part of everything is a lot of times we only look at what's from the neck down. We look at how they throw the arm strength, the arm talent. That's all we talk about. But the 15, the other 15% is played from the neck up. And that 15% that you play from the neck up is really what separates good, not, not even good, below average quarterback still a good quarterback. Um, because the problem is for so long, the, ide the ideal quarterback was this height, this weight, this, this speed with this kind of arm. And just recently we've started to see a shift in who cares what they look like, what they're built like, hand size, they can ball, they can ball. And so you're seeing better quarterback play throughout the country, even at uh, smaller schools, because it used to be you had to be 6'4", 220, and you had to be able to throw a ball 70 yards. Well, now you look at the Baker Mayfields, the Kyler Murrays, Russell Wilsons, uh, even a Patrick Mahomes. They're all 6'2 and shorter. They don't fit into the perfect mold. And so with that is it's hard because you've got to be able to look at a kid and see what kind of moxie he has, what kind of makeup he has mentally, and see if that translates to the field. Uh, I know it's hard to figure out if a kid can do it. I've, I know I work with kids that I'm just like, if mentally you were, t if you were stronger, you could be as good as a quarterback in the in the whole country. But mentally you're weak, and I know you're just gonna struggle, uh, because the neck up is where you really find out how good a kid can be. It's easy to tell a kid, oh, throw here when this happens, but when the live bullets start flying and you got a chance to get the wind knocked out of you, 
Are you going to be able to stay calm or are you going to panic? And that's a hard thing to uh, find out without actually living and being with the kid for a long time. Now let's get into some of these fun cross questions and all these off before he lets you go. The first one we always ask everybody is favorite home cooked meal. Oh God, probably lasagna. Um, pasta guy, no clue where, uh, that came from in my family, but I can probably eat pasta five or six days a week with no problem. But mom's lasagna is by far the, the go-to meal. That's a classic. The It's always a feel-good food right there. So uh, no judgment for me on that one. But then your favorite athlete growing up and your favorite athlete right now. Oh, growing up, Barry Bonds. Uh, grew up actually a baseball guy before I grew up uh, uh, football. <laughs> My grandma loved the Giants. I just absolutely loved it. And that's where my love of sports came from. But uh, growing up, Bonds hitting 73 and just what he was doing, there you couldn't have said anything to anyone around here. It was Bonds all day, every day, and twice when he was hitting home runs. Uh, right now, God, I don't even know who I'd say is my favorite athlete. I'd probably say Dame, Dame Lillard, uh, another Bay Area guy, uh, competitor. I just like guys that are at when the lights get big, are they going to step up? And that's why he's my favorite. I mean, the amount of game winners hitting the step back and waving off the uh, Paul George, that stuff from a guy that likes to compete. God, you, I mean, you don't see enough of that anymore. So guys in that mold, the uh, Dame Lloyds, the Russ Westbrooks, be honest. If you're a competitor, you're a guy that I want to watch every day. And that's just, that's the truth. I mean, even in baseball, someone like Scherzer that goes on the mound in big games and takes it so personally when he plays well or doesn't play well. If you're that guy, good bet I'll probably watch it. I think that Barry Bonds answer was the greatest answer we've ever had on this podcast. Um, and <laughs> no one can top it ever. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think he just made life right there. I don't think Greg's looked happier than he's looked in the last five minutes, especially after one of Liberty's coaches just came at him on Twitter for kicking against them in football. But we'll go into that after the show. <laughs> and now, Jawan, favorite movie? Whew. <laughs> I probably got to go. I don't know if I'm going to go movie or like a whole trilogy, but probably Star Wars. Um, my dad, big Star Wars guy growing up, and that kind of just wore on me. So I'd probably go with the original trilogy, just in general. And I'm a big movie guy, so I there aren't a whole lot of movies that I, I haven't watched. Uh, horror films about the only thing I won't get get into. Uh, not a big horror film guy, but anything other than that, God, there's so many good ones. But I'd probably still go with the original trilogy for Star Wars. I'm gonna give you a whole minute here just to go at Chris because he does not like Star Wars. I don't- uh- like it it's just not my favorite thing cool that, that i've always felt like star wars is it's more an acquired taste than it is anything uh i understand if people don't like it i really do uh but for me i've always felt like when i watch a movie if it can take me to a different place that feels real then cool and if you can actually make that feel real then probably why i enjoy it so much yeah i and think then- the star wars it is an acquired taste, but as a kid, though, I will say the Star Wars toys were about some of the best toys you can get, <laughs> but the movies are not. Movies get a little long. What do you think about the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Are you a fan? Uh, 
I'm not as pushed in it as some people. I've probably watched every movie. Now, no, I have watched every movie. Um, but I'm a movie person at the end of the day. Uh, any big box office movie, quite frankly, I, I try to watch. Uh, and then all the award-winning movies I'll try and watch. Uh, I just enjoy seeing what someone can create with a lens just because I had a teammate right now that's a film director and what it looked like he was doing and what the final product actually looked like. It's incredible what they can do. So I enjoy just watching movies. But with Marvel, I'm not as a huge fan. I'm more of a DC guy. Uh, I like the darker, broodier, just in general. I Marvel's it's all right, but eh, not, not my yeah, favorite. You know, I think I'm with Jawan on that too. I think I found my clone when it comes to some of these movies. <laughs> I don't Jawan. think Greg's gonna like that. Biggest Marvel guy ever. You sold Greg on the Barry Bonds answer, but the Marvel answer, I don't know if Greg's too happy about. Yeah, but here's the thing, Jawan, I respect Chris. I don't respect you, so it, there's the difference. Oh, that's good. I'm I'm glad I <laughs> someone that doesn't respect you. That's what makes West Coast prep so great. But Jawan, what about movies? recently have you seen good movies recently that people should check out uh not i mean recently there just hasn't been a whole lot being uh released uh i know like nobody that came out recently was a movie that i kind of like brushed over quick but then i saw it in theaters or in a drive-in theater and i was kind of like oh this is actually a hell of a movie yeah um yeah i mean just there aren't a whole lot that are coming out right now that are just like must see, must see TV. I mean, yeah, it's just with the whole pandemic, less movies coming out and not as much original materials coming out. But I mean, you get movies like Get Out and Us at Jordan Peele. I mean, that's those are great movies that have been released recently. But yeah, it's just not a whole lot. And I, I'm more of an old school where like the Sixth Sense and things like that. Uh, my dad raised me on a lot of a lot of movies, so I've just seen all over the ballpark. There a good movie recently I saw that I didn't know how good it would be was Stillwater. Was a pretty good movie. I saw kind of long, but that was a good movie. It wasn't the classic ending you think of a movie either. I think that's kind of what made it a little bit different too. Yeah, the ending. Well, if it's all straight, like one straight line, you know the ending. That's normally not a, my favorite movie. It's when things happen and you're not ready for them. That's always my favorite because it, may, it keeps you guessing, keeps you thinking. Yeah, for sure. And then we get back into football for the final fun question is, who's going to be the best quarterback out of the 2021 draft class? Uh, so I've for the last three years, I've actually done the film breakdown and evals of uh, – all the quarterbacks in each class. And this past year, I actually had Trey Lance at QB1. Uh, and the funny part, I am not a 49er fan at all. Uh, I'm actually a Rams fan. And so it hurts me to say that I think the Niners actually may have gotten it right. Um, but I think Trey Lance just, he reminds me of a 6364 version of Russell Wilson. And for whatever you can take that from, I don't think he's ever going to be uh, – the Peyton Manning signal caller that way. But if you're telling me you get Russell Wilson for the next 15 years, I think you'll be happy with that. And then I had Justin uh, Fields as QB2. Uh, I see him as more Cam 2.0 in the mold that 
he's not as tall, but he's faster, and he's such far more refined as a passer than Cam ever was. So people don't realize how good of coach Matt Nagy is out in Chicago and pairing him with Justin Fields, quite frankly, that could be one of the duos that kind of break the no rookies ever won a Super Bowl. Uh, that defense is ready to win the championship now. They're one of the best defenses in football. And if Nagy can tap into what he did with Mahomes in Kansas City, people should be terrified of what he can do with Justin Fields this year because I think it's getting ready to take off and it's going to be a – Justin Fields is going to be rookie of the year. Trey Lance is in, I think, a better situation long term. But I don't think – I think this year with Garoppolo, they're going to go with Jimmy G. I think Trey will sit for most of the year. And then I think Justin Fields is just so much better than Andy Dalton or Nick Foles that it's just there's not a choice but to play him. And I think Nagy's going to design a system that's going to let him just flourish. I think what sold me on Justin Fields, too, was that playoff game. He was just – I know his ribs. It seemed like every injury a man could have had in the world, that yeah. guy. Thing. He was that, still just 50-yard completions up the middle, post routes, everything, getting rocked, and he was not phased. That game was single-handedly the most impressive game I've seen in my lifetime of a big-time performance when you're not at 100. Um, after that game, for any coach, NFL exec, GM, head coach, OC, quarterback coach, that said he's missing something, they are obviously pretty oblivious to what's going on. Uh, one thing I've learned to do as a coach in training quarterbacks is trust my eyes. Your eyes don't lie to you. Like, what you're seeing is what you're going to get. Um, too often we look at what someone can be, and, well, he's able to do that, so he could potentially do this. I saw everything I needed to see out of Justin Fields. Justin Fields throwing on the run, throwing from a pocket, going through reads. He was phenomenal. And people will say, well, he needs to do it more consistently. Yeah, you're right. But when you play at Ohio State, you get bored, and that's just the truth. And when you get bored, you'll have lapses. Well, he's in the NFL now. He knows he's in the NFL. He's not going to get bored. He will see a lot of different schemes and coverages, and he'll be on his P's and Q's, and I think he's going to have a monster rookie year. And then, you know what, Greg, I think is Jawan to start doing some of these quarterback evaluations on well, West Coast I, Preps as you. That's a good I idea. I got to ask him about Mac Jones, though. Being a Patriot fan, I, I got to know about our rookie quarterback. Do you think sure, he's going to be any good? I'm a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. You live in Rhode Island? I I made me – Dislike Patriot fans even more. I, I was in New England when Philly beat the Patriots, and I was the hardest Eagles fan for that one day. It was like the most amazing feeling ever watching the Patriots lose. It really you had really such was. a great answer with the Barry Bonds answer, and ever since then you've lost. You know your answer. Oh, gone you're a Patriots <laughs> fan. No, but. <laughs> But, like, Mac Jones, realistically, when I looked at him, I think his ceiling is Matt Ryan. Um, I think he's in the mold of – I think the higher end is Matt Ryan. Uh, a lot of people have said Kirk Cousins. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can be better than Kirk Cousins because I'm just not a, a huge Kirk Cousins fan. I think he's a guy that puts up great numbers, but just you look at the substance of what he does, it's just not there. Um but I think he can be a Matt Ryan, and I think what people underestimate, he's a much better runner than Matt Ryan is. Um, I don't think he's ready this year. Uh, I think Cam is kind of the, is going to be the guy in New England. He looks healthy. He's throwing the ball well. 
he played well in a system last year that quite frankly had no weapons for him to even play with. And it was kind of impressive what he did. A lot of people knocked him, but for the receivers and running backs and just offense as a whole, didn't have a whole lot to work with. And they were still a seven and nine or eight and 18. Uh, I think Mac Jones, give it two years, will be Matt Ryan. And he'll be a guy that is consistently 4,030 and about 12 picks and kind of in that mold. And I think he'll be a solid guy. Don't think he's a game changer. Um, he went about where he should have, the fifth quarterback. And I think he's a guy that can win you championships, but he's not going to win you a championship. I, I like that evaluation. I take that. <laughs> <laughs> so so is, is Jerwan back on your good side, Greg? Everything good there? No, nah, there's too much uh, Marvel hate and Patriot hate to, to get back <laughs> up there. But he's at least even now. Hey, it's all about balance. Checks and balances. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, is. Thank you so much, Jerwan, for coming on. Where can everybody find you and your organizations on social media? Uh, I mean, God, you can find me. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the same handle for everything. I'm just jlawson707 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then for 7 on 7, uh, NC Elite, uh, North Coast Elite, uh, this will be year three, uh, finally out the pandemic. And so, you know, we're looking forward to when December, January hits, kind of hit the ground running and enjoy ourselves. I mean, don't take 7 on too serious. We're going to get better, but just enjoy being out there and compete. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much to John Lawson for coming on. One of the best quarterback coaches and coaches you'll see out there in high school athletics. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page. Follow us on social media at West Coast Preps underscore and follow all of our work and content at westcoastpreps.com.